from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor and a writer. Kit Lavoie, I'm a writer and director. Today we're doing the fourth part of our five-part series, uh, talking with some of the writers from our company about their process for writing a play. And we've already done the first three parts of the series. Uh, We started talking about what we do before we actually sit down to write, to prepare to write a play, writing our first draft, and then about getting and hearing feedback on that draft. And so today what we're going to be talking about is rewriting, about that second and third and fourth and fifth draft and however many drafts it is that it takes until the play is called finished. E.B. White said, and plenty of other people said similar things, that the best writing is rewriting. And it's really in the process of rewriting that a play becomes what it ultimately will become. Especially since, as we talked about in, in the episode on the first draft, there's a lot that you discover about what the play wants to be in the process of writing a first draft that then the later drafts become about actually making it into that thing that you didn't know you were writing when you started writing. So, to kick it off, for, for each of you guys, how many drafts do you usually write? For me, it's probably around six to ten, possibly more, but I, I, each of my drafts doesn't, nec- it isn't, it doesn't always feel like a completely new draft, it, especially if I'm only addressing one problem. Like, this is the draft where I, you know, looked at one character, so it doesn't feel like a whole new draft because the play is basically the same shape, but I probably go back to the computer at least a dozen times before it's done. I would say I just finished a play, and I think it was, I probably did about seven drafts, I would think. Seven. Seven. I couldn't put an exact number on how many I do, although it's always at least one more pass where I think I was done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think especially where I'm much newer to writing than to acting, whenever I'm writing something, I sort of have an idea in my head of how moments play, how they would be acted. I seem to have an active imagination to sort of fill in the gaps around the blueprint that the script offers. And so I think a mistake I make in my, especially my early drafts, is I have an idea of how this very raw skeleton gets fleshed out and not realizing that the image that's in my brain and is not exactly there on the paper. And so I'm always sort of then, when I do a reading of it, I'm sort of shocked by how much <laughs> isn't there and how inaccurate that draft is to you know the play or the screenplay I have in my head. And that, of course, then forces me to go to another, another rewrite. For me, I, I used to, when I started writing, I would, try, I would really generally do it in one draft, or maybe two. Because I tended to want to, I I think I talked about this in one of our earlier episodes in this series, that I used to really sit back and have it essentially written in my head before I sat down at a computer. I was kind of nervous to start writing until I knew exactly what I wanted to be. And it's not the case anymore. I usually write, I think, between about 5 and 15 drafts of a play. 
oftentimes really depending on how long it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I think obviously a, a shorter play generally takes fewer drafts to, to master, and a longer play, you know, takes, takes more. Except it's easier to write more drafts of a shorter play. <laughs> it's easier to write more drafts of a shorter play, that's true. How quickly do your drafts tend to follow on one another? I usually do one every... If I'm, if I'm really focusing on a play, it's one every two to three weeks. But then I might put it aside for as much as, you know, eight months to a year and then do another series of drafts. So there can be really long breaks while I feel like I can't focus on either because something else comes up or because I'm, you know, at an impasse until I figure out a particular shape that needs to happen or, or character or if I need to start from scratch, I might, you know, just stop for a while before I pick it up again. Yeah, I find a very similar pattern to that, that I, I will very often when I'm intensively working on something do about a draft a week or so, but then I definitely have, I mean, I... I have a few plays in the work that I've been working on for, you know, four or five years. And, you know, just I, I come back to it for about a month or a month and a half each year and then put it aside again. I take long, long gaps between drafts. I feel like that's necessary for me to walk away from the play and come at it with a, with a slightly new perspective, but while still reminding myself of what those initial impulses were and getting it down. I always thought that I would be one of those writers who who just you know whose output was massive was able to just churn out work after work after work and I, I've always been admiring of, of artists in any field who who can do that and I think I'm, I'm realizing as a writer I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that simply because of the the time I need to take between drafts which is sometimes you know two to three weeks sometimes is, is several months where I feel like I need to put something away before coming back to it. I feel like because of the nature of the... I, I've completed two pieces at this point, and I feel like because of the nat- the nature of how they came about, they were both kind of initiated because of writing assignments. I feel like they were probably done really quickly. Like, I think I had a new draft every week or every other week. And then I'm currently writing a screenplay that I think I started back in the summer or fall, and... I've taken long stretches of time between I've you know before going back to that. The time between drafts is not spent entirely on the draft. Like especially if I'm working on something intensively, I you know I'll have a draft written, I'll bring it into a workshop or writing group for feedback, and it'll be very fresh and raw that night. I wouldn't even think about going back to it that same night as I got feedback. Even the next day, it's kind of like, oh, I was working so hard on getting this ready. I, it's like I need a break from writing, so I will probably not do anything the next day. But then I start to lose the freshness of the feedback, and I get to a point where I have to remind myself. Like, it's, it's this balance between giving myself the space and the distance to think about it and come at it again, and also remembering the experience of right uh, of the reading or the feedback that I have gotten and having that be as that something that I actually remember what actually happened and not what I 
am imagining. It's actually really interesting because I feel like I'm the exact opposite. Like I get back from a workshop or a reading group or, you know, having read a draft and I want to immediately like that night address everything, which I think is, is a problem. <laughs> and now I'm kind of anxious because the thing, the, the screenplay that I'm going back to, I feel like I haven't read it or heard people talk about it in months and I'm actually kind of anxious about getting back to it and what it's going to be like and if I can pick up where I left off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I find actually that I do, I sort of split the difference or at least have, a, have something that reaches both of those extremes, which is shortly after I hear a reading of, of something that I've, that I've written, I tend to want to very quickly go back to my notes, go back to the notes that I've taken at the reading for myself, the feedback that, that people have given me, and set goals for myself and figure out what it is that I want the next draft to be. And I think a lot of that is something actually you said a, a few minutes ago, Tim, about, about trying to get back to the play that you're trying to write. Mm -hmm. That I think especially, especially if you have something like the workshop group that we have or other writers groups that, that I'm a part of, that you get feedback from people that's going to be, you know, as much as always, uh, you know, you try and, and people try to and you want people to try to talk to the playwright about the play they're trying to write, people's feedback is inevitably going to be tainted to some degree with their worldview. And, you know, and so part of it is sort of reclaiming the play for yourself. And sort of, so I do like to go over my notes, figure out, okay, based on what I've heard, based on what I heard in my own draft hearing it read aloud, what is it that I want to do next? And then give myself at least a few days to sort of, let it sit and ruminate on how it is that I want to address that. But I do find it really useful pretty shortly after the feedback to kind of take in all of the new data that I have and figure out what I want the next draft to be. So I'm not just thinking about what I think about it, but mm -hmm. kind of I've decided what I think about the last draft and now I'm thinking forward about what I want to do with the next draft. Mm -hmm. I have two kinds of notes that I get from a session of feedback usually. is that One is that notes I took in my script while I was listening mm -hmm. and the other is when people offer their suggestions afterwards or how they you know how they took different things and usually I write down who said who said what and and like I write down like the germ of what they said so it, it is important for me to get very quickly to the stuff that people said because sometimes I'll come back and I'll be like, I don't remember what that meant at all. Like, I, I don't even remember them saying that. Like, mm -hmm. it was, it's, the problem is my note taking with whatever they mm -hmm. said, you know. But it, I do find it important to go quickly to, and, and kind of absorb in general, like, what I want to out of the notes of other people's mm -hmm. ideas about my play. Because the stuff that I thought about my play will come right back to me as soon as I look at that note. Yeah, well, that's actually the way I take notes when I'm hearing a reading of a play. Is I do the same thing. I take my own notes within the body of the play as I'm hearing something I know I want to address. And then sometimes if I hear something and I'm realizing it's a bigger picture thing, I flip back to the first page and make a note for myself at the beginning where I think it's a big picture thing. And then when I'm hearing feedback, I very, 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 very rarely go and make a note in, with, with, yeah, within the text of the play. Usually my notes, again, are, are on the front page. And the front page of my, of my scripts is always a mess after a reading. I mean, just all these things. But I do tend to go through the front page because, frankly, I assume the stuff in the later pages, when I sit down to rewrite, I'm going to want to address because there were things when I was sitting here hearing it read, there was something that wasn't right. I mean, right. sometimes it's even like I just put a squiggly line next to it and it's like, I need 
this didn't come out the way I intended it, so I need to take another look at it. Mm-hmm. But what I will do again early on is I, is go to that front page and read things. And what I do is I'll circle the stuff that I know I want to deal with in the next draft. And I'll put an asterisk next to the circle thing if it's something that I think should be really the thrust of the next draft. Hmm. You know, but that that's that is sort of my process that I'll do either the night when I get back from from a session of hearing feedback on something or the next day. So that say if I do that on a Tuesday, I plan to start rewriting on Friday or Saturday, but I have at least three days where I kind of have decided these circled things are going to be the substance of what the next draft is going to be. We were just discussing uh, before we did this podcast the new Martin McDonough play, mm-hmm. and you know how enjoyable the evening was. And for me, what was very exciting about the play was, you know, a lot of the robust language, the the visual imagery of things that happened on stage, the imagery of that, and 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 just sort of the fun of that evening, while still acknowledging that like there were logical things about the play that don't make sense. And depending on the perspective, I think that each each audience member then, you know, evaluates the play with that sense of criteria. And I think my struggle as as a playwright in terms of rewriting has been to try to address, you know, the feedback while giving the same amount of weight to everything. That okay, pragmatic logic and action, sequencing of one moment to the other needs to make as much sense as and needs to be as important as you know this the imagery that that I needed to have or the action I needed to have or the specific dynamic I needed to have or the themes I was trying to wrestle with and I mean I guess in a perfect play it would have all of those things but and so I guess I don't know exactly what I'm saying other than I guess I'm trying to surrender the idea of of writing a perfect play for everyone with each draft and just trying to write the best possible play that I possibly can with each draft with the knowledge that, you know, I'm realizing that, you know, a certain theme or an image or or a certain aspect of a play or an attribute of a play that may be really important to me may mean that I may need to sacrifice something else that may be important to someone else. Mm -hmm. And, And I just need to, I guess, learn to live with that. Yeah. I guess. Well, it's something I think we talked at great length. In fact, I would say it was the thrust of our last podcast on, on writing about getting and giving feedback is that, you know, when you give feedback, you want to give feedback on the play that the playwright is trying to write. But I think that there's a real onus on the playwright, actually. And it's difficult sometimes, especially when you are hearing from people that you respect and things and things like that, to to yourself stay true to the play that you're trying to write. Mm-hmm. You know, and to and to take the feedback and, and, and then take what you learn to when you sit down to rewrite, pour it into that play that you're trying to write. You know, that said, it's it's interesting how sometimes the play that you're consciously trying to write and the play you're subconsciously trying to write, and I feel a little ridiculous saying that, but I think it's true, but the play that begins to write itself mm-hmm. is sometimes not the same thing. I mean, it's something that I very often will go back after draft and look at the notes that I wrote for that draft before I write the next draft, but not so that I can fix the places where I strayed, but so I can see the places where I strayed, because it turns out almost always, those are what I'm really interested in. Those places where I sat down to write one thing and the characters did something else, that's the play 
that I'm really trying to write, whether I'm conscious of it or not. Mm -hmm. Because that's the things that are so important to the characters that it happens organically. And I think that that can be a really useful thing. Again, you have to hear it through the filter for yourself as a as a writer of what you're trying to do. But if you hear people, and especially if it's multiple people, hearing the same thing in your play, that you are not consciously interested in, sometimes it's helpful to, to step back and say, well, if they're all hearing it, it's probably because it's in there. And it's probably because it is, in fact, you know, this may be becoming a play about that thing. Mm -hmm. Um not and since you are writing it, you are making it a play about that thing. But that that I think is actually a really tricky thing to do as you're rewriting, is you know keeping your barometer of what exact play you are writing, and that it is totally fine. There have been plays I've sat down to write that have turned out to be totally radically different plays. And as a matter of fact, there have been plays that I've started to write that the next play I wrote was that play I started to write because it turned into such a different play. But it turned into such a play in such an organic way that, you know, that I decided to write a different play in the process of writing. And I think that that's, you know, something that's totally all right to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, not only is it all right to do, but if you find yourself doing it, I think you really need to give yourself permission to, because it, it doesn't help to sort of whip your characters into doing a thing that they don't want to do if you've created characters that are so alive for you in a situation that's so alive for you that this character and the situation begin to dictate mm -hmm. um, how the play should go. Mm -hmm. We have talked about, certainly in, in episodes in the past, the importance of goal setting to the creative process. And actually a, a couple of people I think have mentioned it already in this conversation. But what kind of goals do you set for a draft and how do you arrive at what they're going to be? I usually, it's usually based on the feedback session that I came from. I tend to hear what people are suggesting and then, and one of the things that they are, have suggested leaps out at me. Like, yes, that does need to be fixed. I'm going to go with that in the next draft. So usually it is something that came from outside of me, but something that strikes me as really the problem with the draft. And usually I can hear the problem with the draft, but I, I, I tend to try to address only one major thing at a time, one character um, relationship or, you know, one logical problem or, you know, one thread that needs to be run through the whole thing at a time. Plus minor awkwardness that I've heard, like if I've starred a line or something in the script, you know, I write awkward on the side of my script if, 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 if it just rings weird to me. And so I actually will go through first and do all the like the little easy things. That's right. <laughs> it's like it's like a warm-up exercise and it gets me re-familiar with the, the script because I don't read the whole thing over again before I start. I, I rely on the, the last reading that I've heard usually. So I I do all the little the little easy fixes that I know I can do, I know how to do, and then I go to the sections that I need to tackle, the scenes that I need to tackle, and I just work on those one at a time. Yeah, it's funny, because actually I find I also don't read usually before I start rewriting, even when I try. I actually, yesterday, I was going back to, to do some rewrites in a play that I, I had put aside for a few weeks and worked on something else. And I literally thought, you know what, I just need to sit down and read this again. And I was on page two when I'm making notes and stuff. So I, <laughs> I don't, I don't reread either. What, what I found is helpful for me is 
I've started approaching it similarly to how I approach rehearsal as an actor, in which I'll take sort of all the given circumstances of a play, sort of all the elements of the things that I've you know introduced into a play, and then one by one I'll start going through the draft trying to address just that element. And, uh, and literally go from page one to the end of the play trying to address just that one given thing. I have a, a full-length play that I'm desperately trying to, to wrestle down and finish uh, that was called Blackbirds and now is called Freak Flag. And there were so many different things in the play that were important to me that seemed to be touched on and dealt with and then not dealt with and that you know were introduced but not brought to a satisfying conclusion either for the other readers or for me. And so you know, my last three or four drafts for that have been literally taking one element, uh, whether it was you know the, the romantic relationship or the friendships or on uh, this particular play, you know, the music and their love of music and just going from page one to page you know end of the play, trying to deal with just that. What was interesting was my last draft of that that I then went through, I set a very similar goal, but a completely technical goal, which was I was going to lean the play out as much as possible and just strip it of anything that was superfluous. So if there was a reference to something on page 40 and I made a similar argument or a similar point on 54 that on page 54 that didn't move the story forward again or seemed to be a revisitation without a, a purpose to revisit, I stripped it. Mm -hmm. and. So I think for me, it's, it's become interesting to set the same type of goals for a draft as I would for an acting rehearsal in addressing those given circumstances one at a time and whether those are creative goals or technical goals. Yeah. Well, I think that, it, I mean, it's very similar to what we were talking about before about with actors and the idea if you're coming in and trying in a rehearsal just to do the best possible version of the play you can do that day as opposed mm -hmm. to investigating a specific thing. You never really can tell what you've done. And there's a real, I think, mathematics almost to the way that a story hangs together dramaturgically. I mean, there really are things that, you know, if you put, you know, if you have a character have something happen to them at the, at the end of one scene and they come in and say something to their wife at the beginning of the next scene, in the audience's mind, it is because of that last thing we just saw. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you do in performance, it doesn't matter anything. There's a certain mathematics to storytelling that happens that way. And so it's really helpful if you're finding that, you know, that a play is going off in a direction that you're, you know, that you're trying to correct for, that if you try to fix it one way, or not fix it, but if you try to address it one way, if you try to address it in the way this character speaks, for instance, if you try to address it in the tactics that this character uses in the scene, etc., etc., that when you hear it back, when you hear it for yourself, when you get feedback on the next draft, you'll know that the difference you're hearing is because of that specific change you made, rather than knowing, I made kind of 15 different sorts of changes and I don't know what it was that brought the new draft in the new direction that it went. I feel like this is a strange question for me because I'm still really learning how to rewrite. But I feel like it, I find it so much easier as an actor to have a goal going into rehearsal. I feel like for me, writing, I, I currently am one of those people, and it's not helpful, where I read it and read it and read it and read it and I'm constantly, I'll like rewrite the sentence 10 times before I move on to the next sentence. And I'm constantly trying to address everything at once. And I don't know how to not do that. 
and like even the basic thing of like when I'm writing my first draft and like just you know write to the end get to the end you know put you know do a baseline for a story and then you can go back like I find it so hard to get to the end when I know that the beginning isn't what I want it to be well, I think that has to do, though, with the experience of being a writer, uh, the same way that the experience yeah. of being an actor, that there really is something. When you talk to someone who's a relatively early career actor, or even a later career actor who hasn't been especially goal-centric, I know when I teach classes and stuff and talk about it, that it terrifies people to think, well, what do you mean I'm, you know, I should just work on yeah. X, yeah. Y, or it's Z. Like you're this. not doing the play if you, mm -hmm. right, or only doing one thing. Yeah, and and if you and it and it's hard to leave rehearsal and feel like, you know, well, part of that crashed and burned. I failed at it today. Yeah. Whereas you can know as an actor who has worked in a goal-oriented way, that wasn't a crashing and burning. I learned so much from right. the way that it crashed mm -hmm. and burned, and that sort of confidence to do it. Um, you know, I, I just think it's something that you gain the confidence to know that plays, in fact, get better through drafts. You know, that, that it's okay, you know, to know I'm sitting down and I'm working on this play and I know this isn't going to be the last time I sit down at the computer to work on this play. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the other thing that comes with, with time and developing that, that discipline and that patience with yourself is you know, the temptation of an actor to, to, to juggle all of those given circumstances of, of a play and all the elements. Let me put it this way. If you, if you get a role that you really, really love, that really speaks to you, that deals with, you know, say Hamlet, and there's so many things going on with Hamlet, you know, your ambition is going to be to try to do all the things that Hamlet encompasses. And because your ambition is that broad and there are so many things to deal with in Hamlet, you really have to have the discipline and the patience with yourself to go, today, when working on Hamlet, I'm going to address just this one thing. I know there are a near infinite number of things to address in Hamlet. I'm going to work on just my relationship with my mother, and I'm going to let the rest of the play for this rehearsal fall by the wayside, knowing I will eventually get to all those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that ambition when you, you have a role that you really fall in love with is similar to when you are a writer, and specifically I think when you're a young writer or a new writer, when the first things you're going to be writing are the things you're going to really, really care about. They are going to be those things that are going to really fire your ambition, which is odd because that's probably where you need the most discipline and the <laughs> most skill to really deal with it, to really wrestle that play down. You're going to have that same ambition to want to juggle with all these things at one time rather than having the, the discipline and the patience with yourself, which is really what I think it is, to deal with one element at a time. I just, you know, Freak Flag, which is a very important play to me, I've been writing for, for two years and I, I still don't know how many drafts away I am from completing it. And I know how long it took me to even complete a dr workable yeah. draft. And by workable, I mean that was in a point where I could bring it in to have other people even read it to start talking about the problems with it. I just started the, the moving in play assignment this weekend, and admittedly it's a short play, but I'm almost finished with the first draft because, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but I kind of couldn't give a shit because, <laughs> and, and not that I don't care about the play, but because there's a specific writing assignment attached to it, I feel like all I have to do is execute that writing assignment, and all those broader ambitions are things I can later channel into the very strict confines of this play. I think when you're a younger writer and you have you know, an idea for a play that is as broad and as wide and as deep as you are as a person, 
that's a hell of a thing to try to wrestle down mm -hmm. and and to try to f focus on the one specific element to start that journey is really the thing that that will get you moving on that thing it will make that play eventually as as successful as 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 your ambition will allow it to be it, it's, it's just a hard thing yeah and i, I think yeah. It's something that that's helpful too, and it gets into the not giving a shit element. But I but I think I know exactly what you're talking about, and I don't think it's not giving a shit. Yeah. Um, but the idea that um, like I have had I think 22 of my plays produced. I also have 15 plays on a shelf somewhere that have never been produced. Some of them I don't know if they ever will be produced. Um, and there is something that after that that's incredibly freeing about sitting down to work on something and knowing it's going to turn out to be what it's going to turn out to be. Mm -hmm. um, even if it is something that matters to you. But there's something that's really freeing about, especially, you know, that that it gives you that patience with yourself and discipline with yourself and the freedom to be as creative as you need to be with mm -hmm. it. To know that not every play that you write is going to be done, necessarily. But hopefully, then, every play that you write is going to make you a better writer. Hopefully every play that you write is going to be a chance for you to test out your own discipline with yourself and to figure out things about yourself as a writer that will make you better for the next play that is seen. Mm -hmm. um, and I would actually say that it's it's those plays where you really give yourself that freedom that actually turn out to be the plays that are really worthy of being seen. Yeah. I think just the sheer number of words that you have written allow you to be less uh, attached to them. Mm -hmm. Because... You know how many times you've done this. You know, you know how many pages have been thrown away. How many, you know, characters that were in one draft and completely gone from the next draft. It it makes you just less attached to the. I'm still like attached to like the exact dialogue, but it becomes easier and easier to cut a whole section and not even read. The, the, the stuff that came before, like just read up enough to just give you a little ramp up. Like you don't even have to read the first act to work on the second act. You know, that, that kind of stuff comes with volume in essence. Like it's, the volume of stuff that you've read. It's so interesting and maybe this is a separate... Like it's interesting with me because I don't feel precious towards my... Like I have no problem cutting. Like I have like... At, like that's actually probably bad. Like I have no <laughs> attachment to certain things necessarily. It's just... I, I don't know what it is with me. It's just I sounded that. like you were saying like, that you couldn't leave it alone. Yeah, like I've constantly like, like even I'll read it like a million different times and like, like, oh, that doesn't sound, you know what I mean? Like I'll be constantly be tinkering. Yeah. <laughs> but then at the same time have absolutely no trouble getting rid of an entire section or character or. Mm -hmm. But I, I actually feel like I, I should say that while I think goal setting is very important and to know what it is that you're focusing on in a given draft. I also think it's what you're focusing on and not necessarily exclusively what you do in a draft. Yeah. Because actually a lot of times the best writing is going to happen when, for instance, you've decided I need to give this character, character A, a clearer worldview. That's what I'm working on in this draft. But if you find that in giving character A a more specific worldview, all of a sudden character B has a bunch of new stuff they have to say about that worldview, you shouldn't tie yourself down and try to hush up character B just because you're focusing on character A. You know, that, uh, that a lot of times things will organically come out of that process. The trick is just, it's very difficult if you're trying to strengthen character A's worldview and also to clarify 
character B's relationship with his wife. It, it's hard to do both of those things at the same time with a real sense of, of focus. And also, always, I think, for me at least, there's the little stuff that you're fixing. There's the little things that just, this section is awkward, as Jen said, or I feel like there's a, a leap of, uh, of logic here that I need to clarify. You know, that sort of stuff always comes in no matter what you're working on. Although I do find, and it goes, you said, Tim, something somewhat similar earlier, that my goals tend to come in sort of one of two categories. Either things that are internal to the world of the play, you know, meaning things like within the character, like giving the character more uh, um, efficacy or whatever it is, that is really about getting inside of the head of the people in the world and letting them go further or go in a different direction. And the other is about engineering the audience's experience of the play, which is different and important because I think you do have the responsibility for both of those things. And I think especially as you're rewriting, that importance of figuring out, okay, I've written this world, I've written these people, but this thing that I think is totally clear to me and the inside of the characters' heads is clearly not clear to people who are hearing the play or who will see the play. Right. And what do I need to do to engineer that experience? How do I need to reorder how the information comes out? How do I need... A lot of it actually is, it's something we said before about plays being information delivery systems. You know, what information is missing and how can I get that in here? What are ways in which I can set up an expectation? I can set up a dramatic question. You know, those sorts of things that are about the external view. And I do generally find that my rewrites in a given draft tend to fall almost exclusively in one category or the other. That if my goal is something that I've set for myself that's about an internal character thing, I find I don't tend to be tinkering in the small ways with transitions. But I will be tinkering with stuff going on in the heads of the other characters. And if I'm working on restructuring something, I will tinker a lot with transitions and things like that. But I find myself not really doing a lot of, you know, character work and things like that. How, how much do you guys find that your play changes from draft to draft? It depends on my intent in writing the play. If it's a play where I'm invested in specific characters or a specific action or a specific world that I'm, I'm interested in exploring. The play doesn't deviate much from that. Uh, Freak Flag, I had a very specific idea of what I was interested in exploring. The characters, who they were, how they, they dealt with their world, and how they interrelated with each other. And so, while you know, there was great changes in the play, the specific core of the, the play didn't change much. It was just about negotiating all of the variable elements in a way that was satisfying because I knew what I was after. Another short play that I wrote, I was more interested in dealing with a very specific uh, political issue and how it affected people. And that changed radically from draft to draft in terms of who the characters were, what they wanted, where it was taking place, and what happened. Simply because what I was interested in writing allowed for a greater flexibility. It was whatever was necessary to tell a story about that 
specific political, socio-political issue that interested me made all the other elements negotiable. Whereas with Freak Flag, where I had something invested in those specific characters who believed in a very specific thing and related to each other about that thing, that kept that play from changing a whole, a whole lot in terms of its essential elements. I think for me, the more of the play that is complete, the less the drafts change. Because uh, I, I talked about before how I try now to bring in a complete arc, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I've brought in a complete play. So if I've brought in an arc, a scene, an act, it can change much more radically from draft to draft than once I've laid out the whole thing. And then it, the changes tend to be subtler when I have a, a whole draft that I'm rewriting until I get to a point of dramaturgy and then it can radically change you know the next draft can be you know that those changes become much more radical upheavals of the play I find that between drafts my plays change significantly but not necessarily all that much and and what I mean by that is if it's a new draft there should be something that is very different from the previous draft but I think a lot of times my rewrites tend to be fairly surgical. I'm, I'm a, a, a fairly big advocate of the idea that context is really critical to the way that parts of a play are received. And I think I actually said during the feedback episode that we did about how so often where a problem is perceived by an audience is not actually where the problem exists. In fact, it almost always is not. And I will often find actually that I mean, for instance, if I hear from people, it just seemed at the end of the play like she didn't really care what happened one way or the other. Well, I can absolutely guarantee that I did not write a play in which at the end, in my head at least, <laughs> the character did not desperately care what happens uh, to themselves. But, you know, I've, I've had that happen and I've brought it back, I've done a rewrite, brought it back in and had the same people say, oh, the rewrite you did on the end, it's so much clearer how much she cares about what's going on, where I didn't touch the end. It was the setup? It was, yeah, I changed the setup that made it so that the person reading the exact same lines, there was much more urgency to it right. because of what had been set up in the setup to make it clear that that is what was going on. But I think it goes back a lot to what you were saying, Tim, earlier about the idea that the play that you have in your head, the way that you hear it, is not necessarily what exists on the page. Yeah. And, you know, and so that's a lot of times why, again, feedback can be really useful. But then what you need to do is go and figure out how can I essentially get the audience and the actor. Because a lot of times in an original production of a play, you will be in the room and be able to say to the actor, well, no, it's more like this. But the hope is actually, um, and it's actually why I think it's really helpful that playwrights don't talk too much to actors in rehearsal uh, of a first production because the first production is, and actually that will, that's our next episode on, on, on writing is, is what it's like to be in the room as the playwright in rehearsal. But hopefully that first production is going to help you hone the play so that if it gets done by some company where you're not in the room, people, the actors will still be able to connect to it. You know, and I think a lot of times that that's what the what the uh, rewriting is about is figuring out what stuff are you taking for granted as the writer mm -hmm. that has not managed to make its way into the script and then finding an artful way to bring that information and point of view into the script so that everyone else is on the same page with you. 
because I, I usually try to not have my characters set, talk about a lot of the things that they know about. The way that we in our day-to-day lives, we don't have to, to restate everything that we think about something because people have a history with us. They know about an event, they know about your feelings about a certain topics, so you don't have to rehash the conversation as if for the first time every time you interact with somebody. And I try to keep my plays like life that way, but sometimes there's a piece of information that in my head I know my characters know. I never state it outright in the play, and I don't want to, but the information still isn't being delivered. And it's about like adding that like just enough touch of information will change, you know. Then the actors have a clue as to what you were trying to go for with this character. Like, oh, her mother's dead. I thought it was that they were divorced. You know, that they're not going to sit around talking all the time about how her mom is dead or how their parents are divorced. But you, the, the difference between one and the other changes radically what the play is about. Yeah, And that gets back to that idea, though, of really, before you go to get into a draft, of reclaiming the play for yourself and deciding what's important for you. Because there are things where, for instance, I know the play you're talking about, uh, where the question about were the parents divorced or was the mother dead, you know, but that's a totally reasonable choice for you as the playwright to decide, it doesn't matter to me. If it doesn't matter to you, the important thing is the mother's not there. It doesn't matter whether she's dead or that they're divorced. Mm -hmm. If you made that decision, that's a totally reasonable decision. You are not uh, beholden to the, uh, you know, to the audience or to people giving you feedback to be sure that they understand the play precisely as you do. Mm -hmm. However, if you think it's important to the way, the place that the character is coming from, that her mother has died recently versus her parents got divorced five years ago, then it is very important that you put it in there and not just have an author's note at the beginning of the play, Dear Actor, the Mother Died. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that and everything. <laughs> and, and that idea of, of context, I think, is actually really important. And it, this is a, a slight veering off of topic, but I, I think it's something that's important for actors and directors to really embrace, is that you can't just take a line in a vacuum and understand what it means. There's a theory I'm working on that I haven't totally worked out that you need at least three points of information to actually figure out what's happening in a given line. But, you know, that that idea that a sentence, it's, it's a, a pet peeve of mine actually when I hear people talking about plays and they say, well, it seems from what she says that what she wants is this or that she's feeling like this. But you can say things that you don't totally mean. You can say things to cover things. You can say a lot of things that it really depends on the context. I know one of my plays, uh, Realer Than That, it's this play with all of these really things that totally upheave these people's lives happen. And the last line of it is, as they're parting ways, one of them says to the other, it was good to see you. And I have had people look at that and go like, what, so none of this mattered to her? It's like, well, no. I mean, for me, what that's about is this, as, as their life has been totally torn apart, that there's this moment of trying to be a person, of trying to have some dignity in this situation and trying to... But I think you need to, as a director and as an actor, 
because that you're going to be the one who's feeding the experience to the audience members. You need to take every line, not in a vacuum, but in the context of everything that's come before it. And, you know, but then that really puts an onus on you as a writer to be sure that you are providing context that will guide the director and the actors to what is important to you about the way that an exchange in a play happens. Because otherwise, all they have to go on is the words. It's kind of like a, a water slide where you're just like changing the angle of the the slide in one little place and it shoots you in a different way to have a different splash at the end. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How do you um, protect what is important to you or what's good about a current draft as you go into the next one? I find it kind of hard to note necessarily right away what is worth protecting. I tend to have emotional attachments to various parts of, of the play and sometimes I protect it by delaying working on a, a rewrite of that section just say um, like the play that we were just uh, referencing about the mother um, is just Julie and there's a section in it where the father appears and it's sort of out of context not out of context it, it doesn't feel like the same genre of play as the rest of the play and after the father appears it really changes the trajectory but I really love that scene with the father and I really don't want to cut it even if I could and so every time someone has mentioned oh that seems to come you know it really changes what the play is like I thought it was this kind of play and then the father showed up and it was like a whole different play I still love it and I haven't dealt with it yet I may at some point decide, okay, it's not really needed for this. But uh, So one part of protecting it is to just leave it. Don't touch it. Mm -hmm. And the other part is always coming back to whether it really needs protecting. I think I briefly touched on it earlier, but it's finding that, that balance between you know, what is really important for you and satisfying for you versus you know, the worldview uh, and the agenda of, of other people who may read it and what what they they value, you know, it, it, and and I think that's that's hard, particularly when you're getting feedback from people you care about and, and that you respect. It's it's hard to to be able to listen to somebody's feedback and say, you know, those things that are that you need to fix, for lack of a better word, and that are glaringly obvious, and that you're interested in fixing, and you're grateful for the person bringing them up, well, th those are those are easy opportunities to take advantage of. You know, you're thankful for them. And the, the feedback you get on specific aspects of your play where you feel the other person is just interested in a different play, well, th that's kind of easy to dismiss as well, because that's not the play that you're writing, and, and you're not writing it specifically for them. So it's easy to dismiss that. The hard part, I think, is when you get those valid critiques of your play with something that potentially could need to be fixed, but it costs you in another part of your play that's important to you. You know, I, I have moments like that in Freak Flag, Jen, where there's something in the play where people are like, well, but this section, you know, his action isn't clearer or, or this given circumstance isn't dealt with. And you know, my interior response to ingesting that feedback is, yeah, but if I, if I deal with that, this play is going to go into something that I really don't want it to be at all. And then you have to make the, the call of, 
you know, well, what, what is more important, satisfying that specific part of the play that I acknowledge is a bit of a problem, but I'm going to lose, you know, everything else that's important to me about that play if I, if I jump into that. that I mean, that, that's kind of a hard call. Maybe it's not a hard call to make, but it it's only hard because I feel like in those moments I'm acknowledging that the play is imperfect mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. And that's a hard thing to do, you know, to go back to Jenny's point about, you know, your ambitions, especially as a young writer, which I think I still am. It's hard to walk away from something knowing that the thing doesn't work for all people in all contexts at all time. Well, I think a big part of that is it's a very difficult thing sometimes to be able to differentiate when hearing feedback. But I think it's an important thing to be able to do, whether it is someone, as you said, Tim, wishing that they were writing this play because they would write a different play. Mm. And in that case, though, that is dismissible. You know, where it's like, I, I would be more interested in this element of the story. Well, then write a play about it. Right. Um, but there are also feedback that can sound very similar that are people misinterpreting what you're writing. And those are things where I think you do want to address those things. And it, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference whether they're saying, I wish you'd done more of this, or like what you made me wonder about the way this is written is this. Right. Not my head went there, but... I felt like I was set up to for the play to go this direction, and it doesn't go that direction, and I desperately wanted to see what happened when he went to the garage yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, and if it turns out that, again, it's... Again, sometimes, especially when you're dealing with people who are not necessarily dramaturgically focused, for instance. You know, if you're doing it with a lay audience, for instance, or, or even actors who are not especially... Um, have a special background working with new plays, those those two things can sound very similar Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to differentiate. I mean, I certainly know I have sometimes, at times, say to a, and, uh, you know, will say to a playwright, it feels to me like there might be an opportunity to address this other thing, which take or leave, but I found myself interested in it. As opposed to sometimes saying, you presented a dramatic question, you made me wonder about this, and then you did not address it. Um, And I feel like, so much of actually what makes a play a play going experience satisfying almost entirely frankly is the way that the writer deals with dramatic question meaning they make you wonder something and then and then they deal with answering it sometimes by answering it the way you expect it to sometimes by answering it in a very surprising and confounding way and sometimes, I mean, I think you've got to say this, by refusing to answer that dramatic question. You know, leaving us at the end feeling like, but what happened? I want to know, but I understand that not knowing is part of what the universe is like. You know, <laughs> that's a tricky thing to not answer a dramatic question. But, but that is also to say that there is almost never a single right way to quote-unquote fix something or address an issue. And that's why, I mean, I think a generally good rule for talking to playwrights about their play is to talk to them, A, about what your experience was, and B, potentially to talk about what you think issues with the play might be. But to try, unless you're specifically invited to, not to talk to them about the solutions to it. Because that's where you get into talking about the play that you would rather write. Because, you know, there can be such a thing, Jen, you're talking about that situation where you've got this scene with the father that you really love. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but people say it doesn't totally fit in. And actually, I think they're kind of right. It, it does come a little bit out of left field, but it's a wonderful scene. But I mean, I think that on one hand, you certainly could cut it if you wanted to, or you could add things to that scene that made it clearer about how it impacts what comes after it, mm-hmm. such that the rest of the play couldn't quite happen the same way if that scene hadn't happened, or that something happens earlier on that raises the dramatic question about something to do with the father, that the existence of that scene fulfills that question that we've been asked. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it, it really is, there are multiple options for how to deal with mm-hmm. something. Oh, again, almost all of them have to do with dramatic question and answer. Right. The question is, is to fit in, is that scene an answer to a dramatic question, or is it asking a dramatic question that will be fulfilled later on in the play? And that's kind of how I, how I am protecting that scene right now. Is I I know it doesn't totally work, but I know I'm working on other things in the play, and ultimately it might work. There might something else might change about the play where that scene does work. I might change that scene itself or the things around it, and then it might work, or I might end up cutting it. But at 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 some point, like the to me, the relationship with the father and the adults in the world is an important part of the difference between the way that teenagers deal with each other, and. I don't know that it's necessarily important to this play, but I I like what it says about them as people. So I I'm still waiting to see, and I think that actually will be something that I address in a rehearsal. It's funny for me. I think I said in an earlier episode how opposite my approaches to acting versus writing were, and and I'm feeling more and more as I get more experience as a writer that that's becoming untrue, because one of the the things I'm realizing the way I protect my work is to remain very, very clear on what my goals for a specific play are in terms of writing and where I am in writing that play. And then I view all the feedback I may get or even my own feedback within that context. And if, uh, you know, for example, as an actor, if, if I am working on a scene, if I'm working in the actor's studio or I'm working in workshop on something, and I say, in this play, I know there are all of these elements, but today I'm addressing this. Or what is most important to me about this play is addressing this aspect. And I think this is what this play is about. Then I view all the feedback I get, the response to that, within that context. And can you know utilize and ingest or dismiss according to that context. And I, and I find if, if, I think my earliest work with, with plays was just, what do you guys think? And, you know, it was, you know, literally, you know, whether the feedback was positive or negative, you know, completely colored my experience of receiving that feedback. And as I become more experienced and think more and more about what exactly it is I'm trying to accomplish with each play, I think I'm getting stronger in terms of viewing everything within a context of its u- of feedback's utility in terms of doing, you know, as you say, writing the play that I'm trying to write and wrestling with the things that I'm trying to wrestle with. And... I think just having the maturity and the patience to recognize that if if the feedback I'm getting is coming from a place where that worldview that that person giving feedback is offering is just different in a way that they're not interested in wrestling with the same things I'm wrestling with, or at least not at the same level of importance, that it's okay for me to, to ingest that and to allow it to have a different weight 
in my worldview perspective than it does in theirs, and to continue to write the play I'm trying to write. And I think oftentimes the way that that sort of feedback can be useful is, again, not to dictate what you need to do, not to dictate that you need to make, need to talk about what's important to them. But there's a lot of times, I think, where things that are important to me as a writer just are so important that I can't imagine them not being important to other people. And so sometimes, though, when you hear they're not interested in that, it, what it's a flag of is, oh, I need to do something more to invest the audience who is not already predisposed to be interested in this thing to be interested in the thing that I am interested in. Because hopefully you want your audience to be interested in the things that you're interested in. Some people are never going to be interested in it. I mean, that's just, you know, the way that it is. I mean, I've, I've always said that if everybody likes something you've done as an artist, as an actor, or especially as a writer, you're doing something wrong. Um, you know, because there are very few things that are interesting that are to everyone's taste. But I, I, I do think, and what, what you guys both just said, I think it is right on about the, the important thing about protecting your work really has to do with really having ownership over your play, knowing what's important to you. And I actually really will, before each draft, I'll actually write down a list of these are the things that are important. Some of them are new things, some of them are the specific goals that I've set for that draft, but some of it is also, you know, there are in, in any play sort of two or three or four points that appear on every list that I write. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I feel like as long as you have your anchor hold about these are the core values of this script and always write within those core values, you're going to be protecting what works about the script and what's important about the script because you're always going to be measuring it against sort of your thesis statement for the project. Uh, let, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about sort of the more technical aspects of, of rewriting beyond the sort of larger picture philosophical ones. But how do you guys rewrite generally? I mean, do you rewrite longhand? Do you rewrite on a computer? Do you dictate things into some sort of dictating machine? Um, uh, and is it different for you than the way that you physically write a first draft? I think it's just a continuation. Like I use this, I use final draft. I, I continue in final draft. I use my script with notes on it as a reference because sometimes it's easier to see things all, you know, like, because you can only fit a certain amount of page on a computer screen. Sometimes it's easier to lay out a couple pages next to the computer if you're addressing several things, you know, in several parts of the play and say, oh, this is the, you know, here's the three speeches that are the same and let's see which one, we, you know, which one is better. But it's definitely uh, just a continuation of the same process on the computer. Same for me, and it's, it's always on the computer. It's the same for me. Uh, it's usually on the computer, although ideas tend to hit me while I'm, I'm traveling around. So for that, we're obviously, uh, it's, it's rare for me to be able to pull my, my laptop out of my bag. Sometimes my laptop isn't with me. I, I usually have a notebook with me, and I usually have notes I'll write down furiously, scribbling when I'm on the subway or, or you know, or I'm yeah. in between whatever. And then what I've actually found myself doing is in times when I don't have something to write or to write with, if my notebook's not available, I usually have, I have an iPhone and I will actually email myself mm -hmm. snatches of dialogue or notes or things that I need to, yeah. to get done. I do that all the time. Yeah. 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 I find actually that, uh, actually I'm a little surprised because I, I do something different than any of you do, but I actually tend to do my rewrites in longhand on the script. 
Um, and uh, I actually like to print the script out so it's two pages next to each other, like on one sheet, so I can see as much of a stretch of it as possible. I know Neil Simon actually always, always, apparently up until this day, his writing is on a legal pad because it's long and longhand, but he says he likes the long page because he can see the rhythm of the script as he writes it. And I actually find sort of the more of this, the more of the rhythm of the surrounding area that I can see, you know, the, the better sense it gives me. And that I'll do if it's a lot of like changing lines. A lot of times actually like literally taking out words here and there can make a real difference. And it's certainly if it's like adding three or four or five or six lines, I'll sort of pen them in, like in between a given line. It's important to me, I actually, it's weird, I find it to, to write in a, in a very contrasting pen. Like I can't write in black pen during that part, it needs to be something else. But again, in part, what that allows me to do is to see how the shape of the play is changing, to see where the new stuff is and, and where it isn't. And something else that that really allows... But I, what I will do is, if there's a new section that I need to write, which sometimes there is, sometimes there's a, I need to add two or three pages here, I will just, you know, sort of, you know, put a mark of this is where it needs to be and maybe a, a few notes about what needs to go in there. And that I do at the computer. That I actually tend to think of as, as essentially writing a little two-page play that bridges the gap between these two things. Um, you know, I, I really think of it as its own little unit usually. But the other thing that that really allows is it actually kind of allows me to do two drafts at once because I'll write it, but then in the process of entering it in the computer, I always change it. You know, that, that there's sort of a, 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 a new polish that goes on it. And, and also it helps me to keep moving because there definitely are things where I'm writing something in and it's not totally working, but I know the idea of it is right. And usually I'll actually, I'll write it and then I'll circle it so I remember this is something I definitely want to change. But it, it allows me to kind of keep moving, which I think is helpful when doing a rewrite, not to obsess about a specific moment, but I can sort of get, you know, I can spend, you know, however long it is writing what is essentially the next draft. And then sometimes, yes, I will end up spending an hour on a four-line exchange to get it exactly right, but at least... I know what needs to happen in that exchange and that it's four lines long before I sit down at the computer. Do you guys have any writing rituals? Is there anything that, that you do? I mean, we talked a bit about this in the uh, both preparing to write and, uh, and first drafts, but is there, are there any rituals that carry over for you from your first draft or anything different that you do in, in a rewrite? I, I would say most of the stuff I said for the first, the first draft writing carries over about the space you're in and all that. In addition, I always read the notes from my front page, you know, the, all the things that people said one more time. And then I do the little changes first, like I said. I, the things that are, that are kind of like, it's like a warm-up to the, to the main rewrite. Is I, you know, if someone said the wrong name, or, you know, it's a weird stage direction, I'm just going to cut that, do this. And it's, it gets me into the mode of writing the rest of it. It's actually, do you guys need to be in the same space that you were, like, if, mm. if you started writing at home or at work, do you need to be, like, to finish that play, do you, or to do a draft, do you need to be in the same space that, as where you started? I don't need to be in the exact same space, but I've discovered there's places I definitely can write and places I definitely yeah, can't. <laughs> and so I just make sure I'm in a place I can write. You know what I think is, becomes the same space for me is actually the software is that the layout of your computer screen 
is like setting up your table in a certain way is that I have my window in a certain space on the screen and the you know the it's a certain distance like as even if I'm on a different computer if I'm using the same software it's the same thing it becomes the same space for me I think I've actually mentioned earlier that I do I don't need to be in the same space but I like to be there's a certain sense memory thing that I find that sort of gets me in the right in or not even the right headspace but the same headspace and and especially you know there are a few places that I have that I write um, you know I've got my office at home I have my office in in the city I have a few libraries that I can go to you know and especially there's one play I'm writing that's about you know academia and a university and there's a university library I go to that totally is like all this wood and old books and smells like old books and there's something that when I sit down at my computer in that room if I very quickly slide right back into where I last was when I was sitting down to write that said it's actually interesting that that it really is when I'm sitting down to at the computer to do it it feels like it makes a difference but like making doing hand notes and and handwritten changes it doesn't feel like it matters to me at all and similarly, actually, I very often have music that I've come to attach to a piece. And I, I would like to listen to that sort of music as I'm sitting down and kind of settling in and looking over my notes and, and going. Sometimes I'll listen when I'm, when I'm actually writing. It kind of depends on what the music is and, and things like that. But a lot of that, I think, are things that I've developed because I do tend to be writing two or three or four or even five things at one time. You know, and so it is sort of helpful to have these little sensory cues to myself about this is this is the thing that I'm working on now. Do you guys tend to do new research for a new draft? Sometimes. If I'm adding a new element in or, you know, changing a location or something, I might do some new research. But it's it's usually less than for a first draft. Yeah, but you know, it, it it's funny, I, I I just wonder what people did before the internet. In that it's, when I do new research now, you know, there's so many elements. I'll actually go through a draft with elements of things that I feel like I don't have a good handle on. Where I'll just Google them or go to Wikipedia or pull up, you know, you know, a search engine and run through, you know, everything I can find for just an hour on that one particular element and just sort of learn as much as I can about that specific element. But I feel like I usually have a pretty good handle on whatever it is I'm about to write about before a first draft. And so the additional research is really just about clarifying either for the character or for myself what, what it is that they're actually dealing with. That's what I do. I kind of, well, sometimes I'll put in like vague placeholders, like they're going to a meeting or, you know what I mean? Like, and if I don't have a clear sense of the meeting, I'll, I'll make sure and come back and, you know, research what meeting they'd be going to and kind of figure that out and, and, and add that into a, another draft. If I'm kind of on a roll writing and don't want to like stop and figure out what this meeting is, yeah. I I find actually that that research tends to be very inspirational to me. So I do often, although actually not always, uh, you know, go back and sort of you know look up some things that you know that will provide a springboard for this next thing that I'm working on. Uh, one thing I actually find sometimes I need to do research on is actually re-research if I've left something for a while and come back to it, because something that I do tend to do in certain things that I'm writing is having expert people talk to each other about the thing that they're expert at. And 
you know, in those cases sometimes, I am very much okay if we're getting what's happening in the relationship, even if we don't totally understand what precisely they're talking about. If it's two mathematics professors, if it's two scientists, that I, I find that to be kind of a fun thing where they're talking about something that's meaningful to them. We're getting out of it from the way they talk to each other what's happening in the play without necessarily understanding what they're talking about. And I have found I've gone back to something after a little while to rewrite something and realize I need to look this up because I'm not sure that I, I don't remember exactly what that is that they're talking about there. But uh, yeah. Do you, do you tend to, to go back and look at earlier drafts as you write new ones? Sometimes I start from an earlier draft, especially if I've, if I've brought in a draft and I feel like it went completely off the rails, like I lost everything that was of any use, <laughs> and it's like, I might as well just not have done that draft. Then I might go back even two or three drafts to where, to where it was still fresh, and then start, start rewriting from there. That's when I'm doing something pretty drastic, though. Uh, but I do, you know, like, if, if someone said, oh, I liked it better last time, you know, that, that you cut that line and I think you shouldn't have or something, I'll go back and look and see what it was. I'll definitely do that, too, especially because I am always tinkering with lines. And if, if people are saying that a line landed better or was better rhythmically the last draft or whatever, I'll go back and, you know, take that section and put it into the new draft uh, and, and then work from there. I don't know if this is wise or not, but I almost never look at old drafts ever. How do you guys save them? I do. I, I do the um, the title of the play as it currently stands, and then the date that I begin the rewrite, hmm. and then uh, just so that it's you can Our when you're looking later. back for a draft for you know you want to know what the most recent draft was because the only time I ch I change it without the date in it is when I'm submitting a digital copy for a submission to someplace and mm -hmm. so I want to know like oh that's the one I submitted to this at whatever festival so I'll put the, the title and then the name of the festival and then actually I'll remove the name of the festival before I send it to them so it's like uh, I have these uh, like five drafts from around the same date mm -hmm. and you want to know which is the one that you actually sent so it's yeah I, I save them numerically I kind of don't want to know how long I've been working on something. <laughs> so uh, it literally would be title of play four, title of play seven, and they'll all be under one folder. And then at some point I do what you do, Jen, which is when I feel like I have a draft that's presentable and is an actual readable, presentable, public-worthy draft, then I just create a new folder with that title saved. Mm. It's interesting because what I was, because I was working on, or, you know, I started working on this feature-length screenplay. And what I'm trying to do with it, and I don't know how long it will last, is I save a scene, because I'm working kind of scene by scene, as like what the, like the main, the gist of the scene. So it's like arriving in New York City is, is how I save it or whatever. And you know, eventually I'll piece it all together. But I've actually, with these shorter pieces, have been having trouble kind of figuring out what to, what to save it as and where to save it and how to keep track of them. Yeah, I, I tend to do something very similar to what Jen does, which is it's the, the, na the name of the play and the date. Although something that I do additionally, which feels important to me, is I as soon as I'm done with a given draft, I email it to myself. Yeah. Um, because I do tend to work on different computers, mm -hmm. um, even though I like to try to work in the same place, I don't always. And so, you know, there's always that danger of going and wondering, is this com one that's on this computer the most recent draft? But as long as you've got internet, you can go and find the most recent draft that 
that you did. But it's interesting that I tend not to go back to look at drafts. There have been a few times that it's been important, felt important to me to do that, and I have. And yet, at the same time, it feels important to me to keep an archive of the way that the play developed. Um, and actually, where I use that more often than in my rewrites is when I go to direct it, that I will go back and read the first draft of it because it's sometimes incredibly telling for me about what's really important about the play to see how it changed from the first time I sat down to where it finally ended up. Uh, because I think when you're changing it incrementally, and especially when you're doing goal-focused changing, there's a lot of times in which the play will evolve in a way that you're not conscious of. You know, because you're changing it this piece by this piece by that, and you don't realize that actually all of them have moved in this direction to support this new thesis in the play that you're not conscious is there. But, and I also actually like to keep keep them named as I named them because sometimes the title will change and a lot of times actually it's fun where it's like you know it's the Tim and Jenny play is what it was originally called if I knew I was writing it for the two of you guys or you know the hotel room play if that it's uh, again just more for me as a, as a writer it's interesting to be able to go back and see where was the original idea from and where has it ended up going. It ended up for two different actors. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you um, tend to go back to old notes when you're writing? I, I mentioned before that, that I do sometimes just to see how things went differently in a rewrite than I expected them to. Yeah, only for entertainment's sake. Actually, not on purpose, but sometimes I happen upon them and like I'm like, oh, shoot. I mean, sometimes it's very informative, and sometimes it's like, oh, I can add that in now, or... But I, I usually take notes and then forget that I've taken notes. Yeah, because I, I usually, because I take them on the draft, the previous draft, and then I, te I keep them. I keep them in a folder somewhere, but I tend not to look at them as I'm two or three drafts down the line. I might go back to them when I'm looking for a specific draft, the, if I'm looking for the most recent draft and it's in a folder of drafts, I might be like, oh, hey, look at that. But it, it usually isn't helpful to me uh, to look at them. Yeah, I look at the notes when I first do that next draft and then they're gone. And, you know, I feel like, and again, this is for better or for worse, I'm still figuring out my process as a writer, but I feel like I'm always dealing with the play that's in front of me mm -hmm. rather than the play that, that yeah. I was working on six months ago. Yeah. 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 And how do you guys know that you're at the end of a draft? Well, uh, it's when I've finished whatever the goal was for, you know, for that rewrite. It's like when, when I've gone through that section, when I've gone through that character, when I've gone through that event, you know. That's it. It's, it, it just feels like the list has been checked off and I'm done. Yeah, I do a similar thing where I have the one goal and I work from page one to the end of the play. Pretty much when I've... You know, I treat it, I kind of treat it in that sense like a, like an actor's rehearsal and that this is what I'm working on today and I went from page one to the end of the play. That draft is now for better for worse finished. Mm -hmm. I may I may go through once and skip over things and then come back. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't necessarily work from front I mean, it depends on the goal. But as long as I've hit everything that I intended to hit. Yeah. Then I feel like I've finished the draft. I mean, again, I think that's a, a value of sort of goal-oriented work. Is you, you know, is is you know, this is what I was doing in this draft, and it's not just a matter of 
you know, tootling around with it until you can't tootle with it anymore, right. which, I mean, I think is a way that a lot of writers, you know, do write. But I also find, especially given, you know, that, that where we work, we do have a place to regularly bring things for feedback, that a lot of what marks for me the end of a draft is when I have clear questions to ask. You know, when, I, when, I, when I'm ready to find out how specific things I was working on worked. And if, if I feel like I haven't yet given the people who will hear it next enough information to answer those questions, then it's not done. And if I feel like I have given them enough information and I have clear questions, then I'm ready to ask them. Before we wrap up, I think just two last, slightly bigger picture questions for you guys. What is the hardest rewrite you've ever done? I still have it. <laughs> I haven't been able to do it yet. Is that, does that count? Um, I, I have this play text that I have to start from scratch. Uh, the last time I brought it in for feedback to the workshop group, we read, like, I didn't, I hadn't really been at it for almost a year before that. And I brought it in, I was intending to work on it again. And when I heard it read, I just realized, like, nothing, not that nothing was salvageable, but that I wouldn't get anywhere if I started from that draft and that I would have to just reconceive of the action and start from the beginning. And I, I still have not been able to do that. It's, I'm still in the middle of that rewrite. I'm at the beginning of that rewrite. I think it's gonna be for this, this feature film that I'm writing, because I feel like I'm actually really excited and attached to the topic, and I feel like it's gonna be the first thing that I'm like, really nervous to, to rewrite and figure out what doesn't work because I'm going to be attached to it for the kind of the first time. And I, I'm, I'm kind of excited in the end about that. I think it's funny that all three of us, the, the hardest draft for us to write is the one that we haven't done yet. Because <laughs> um, it's the same thing for me. Uh, it's the first screenplay I've ever written. Uh, this play called Iowa that Again, the same thing I think that happens with a lot of young writers. It's a play that's very, it's a screenplay for a film that's very important to me. And I've realized... That you wrote, wrote quite a while ago at this yeah, point, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was like three years ago at this point. I don't say the dates, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't want to... I don't want to break Press it to you, Tim. I think it was longer than that. Terrific, <laughs> terrific. Um, but, you know, and it's, I think it's been over a year since I've actually sat down and looked at it. And it's because I've realized that what I need to do is take these characters and the core element that I was interested in, in in writing about and disassemble practically everything else about it and put it back together into a completely different different animal and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that but it seems like such a momentous task to to completely deconstruct what is a, a full draft I mean I think that's your thing is if, if it's not that big a deal, I feel like, to, to restart with a 10-minute play or maybe even, you know, a one-act. In a weird way, the length can sort of dictate the exhaustiveness of the next draft, simply because, and not just because of the length, because there are so many interrelated moving parts. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I said earlier in a podcast about, you know, acting and about being, and how it dealt with, with writing. I think it was actually an episode about writing, but I, I made the point that as an actor, that if you give me new information, it doesn't just change that line. It changes everything mm -hmm. about, potentially changes everything about the dynamic of how I need to approach that character. And it's a similar thing with writing, you know, that if I have a screenplay that's a two-hour thing and I need to start breaking down pieces of it, you know, there's, 
it that's going to affect everything in there. And I mean, you need to break down the entire thing. That's just a, a daunting but necessary task. Yeah. For me, I actually think it's it's something I'm working on right now, which is that I had written something of, to be the book of a full-length musical, and that there were places where there were songs that I basically had a you know a paragraph in bold that was like, and this is where the song is, and this is what happens in the song. And I still have hopes to have that be a musical eventually, but I'm actually trying now to write a straight play version of it. And it has turned out it's really challenging because information comes out in very different ways in musicals than it does in, in a play. And one, you can absolutely have someone come out and sing a song of exposition that, you know, that tells us what we need to know about them before they go on that, you know, that doesn't work in a play. You can't have someone come in and tell us about themselves. We need to discover them. You know, and likewise, there are places where I thought, oh, well, there's this song, but you know what? I can just change what would happen in the song into dialogue. But again, the kinds of things that might come out in a song, you know, in a three-minute song, really, to come out believably, becomes a 15-minute scene. And it's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just really challenging, but I, I think it's actually because I am so aware, and something that's very important to me, is structure, that that's the one thing that I really kind of try to figure out before I write and really hold to, you know, so that all of my rewrites still are, are hewing to the same basic backbone of story um, that I worked with from the beginning. But now, you know, it's like my play has scoliosis, you know, there's, you, it, it, you can't, I can't use the same backbone anymore, and it's trying to refit things. It's, uh, it's, it's challenging. It's actually more challenging than I thought it was going to be. And final question for everybody. Do you like rewriting? Is it a process that you enjoy? It depends on what the goal is. Some things I find fun and interesting. If I, if I, if I perceive that I will be successful at it, it's a lot more fun than if I have no idea how to go about it. If, if I, if I like the hard rewrite this text starting from scratch with something that I have already written like seven times feels just like I don't know where to begin that and it's clearly not just at the beginning and go I have to conceive of the whole before I can go to the beginning and it it's really daunting so it depends on yeah it depends on how how well I think I can do at it actually there's only one type of rewrite I enjoy. For, for the most part, I find rewrites this stomach-mulching grind, you know, and... But uh, the only rewrite I really enjoy is the one where I specifically go through and try to lean the play out as much as possible because I feel like... By the time I've gotten there, I feel like I have a play. I have a play, and it's just about making the thing lean and make sense and be as efficient at the thing it's trying to do as possible. And I feel confident at that point, at least for that moment, that I have a real play. I have a real story. Until then, you know, I think part of the grind of all the other rewrites is that I'm not sure if I've got a real thing yet. I think for me it kind of depends on, on again, what I'm writing. There's a couple of pieces where I feel really confident about what I want to say or about what I want to happen, and those are a lot of fun. And if it's one of the ones that probably needs more rewriting because I don't really know what I'm trying to say or, or what I'm doing, those are can be tedious. Yeah, I I will say I actually like rewriting a lot. And and it and it has to do with 
you know, once I have a thing, you know, a draft, that the rewrites are all about sharpening and finding, making moments really work and adding moments that add a lot to something. That it actually is something that I sort of feel like if I'm writing, if I'm doing a rewrite and what I am writing in there is not thrilling me, then it's wrong. Which means that I find the process by definition thrilling. It might be tough to get to the thrill, but, you know, I kind of, there's almost no section where it's like, I'm adding three lines here that I don't go like, well, those are three lines that ought to be in this play. Because I feel like when I'm doing a first draft of something, there are things where it's like, I'm going to come back and deal with this later. But when you're rewriting, it's dealing with it later. And, you know, I usually feel like, even if I'm wrong, I usually feel like this is something that is exciting. Uh, this is something that I'm glad is here. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you are enjoying the podcast and would like to let other people know about it, please tell them about it. Uh, please go to iTunes and write us a review. If you are listening and like what you're hearing but are not subscribed, go to iTunes and sign up there. If you want to know more about the Cry Havoc Company, about public events that we have coming up that you can see, please go to www.cryhavoccompany.org. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast or about our work, please send it to podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. So for myself, Jen, Jenny, Tim, and everyone here at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.